Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss The Mandalorian, Episode 6, The Prisoner. We're going to have a spoiler discussion. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars Insider Writer and Full of Sith Podcaster, Brian Young. How do you do? Glad to have you back, Brian. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about this week's episode of The Mandalorian. I would, uh, you know, let's start off with the, you know, our overall thoughts on this episode. And I, I think this might be one of the best episodes released thus far. And this is the second episode from uh, Rick Fumiyama. Uh, he's the guy that directed Dope. He directed the second episode of this series, which is um, the one with the Jawas. And uh, that was one my personal favorite, honestly. And until this episode, uh, th- this is just like so cool. It's like it's like Reservoir Dogs in space. Uh, Brian, what did you think? Um, I think this is my favorite episode too. I was a little bit less taken with last week's episode, and uh, this episode really kind of kicked things back into gear and earned its keep. I think as far as the episodic storytelling we're we're doing if we're going to be avoiding the overarching story this is the sort of episode i want out of that yeah it, it kind of feels like the pitch for the show now is like each episode let's do a mini movie like you know what if we did reservoir dogs in the star wars universe what if we did seven samurai and like that feels like what the pitch is for the show now yeah, which is, I mean, what, what Clone Wars was for a long time as well, before they started getting into the four-episode arcs, and even then they would do that. Um, so, so yeah, like, that's, I really love that, and this was, this was very much Reservoir Dogs meets Aliens and Halloween, and I don't know how you could possibly <laughs> argue with that. Yeah, and the, it was just so tense, the action was such top-caliber action, like, more than what you expect from TV. Uh, Brad, what did you think? Yeah, this was um, probably also my new favorite episode. Uh, the roster of bounty hunters they have here uh, is fantastic. I, I love the way the, the story plays out. Um, it it does become clearer and clearer that they're sticking with the adventure of the week formula as opposed to making the serial arc more prominent, which is somewhat frustrating. <laughs> but it does lend itself well to you know what bounty hunters do, so I guess that's fine. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a very cool episode for, for a number of reasons. Yeah. When I was taking notes for this episode, like, I think I had the most notes out of any of the episodes thus far, like the most amount of things happen in this episode, but in terms of like the grand storyline, like the big, that big arc, almost nothing happens. Yeah. I was doing that same thing, trying to boil down the recap for my review for slash film. It was like, wait, then this happens, then this happens. And it's like, yeah, a lot was going on. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't affect the overall. But we did get some some tasty bites of the backstory. Oh, yeah, especially with, like, New Republic. And we can get into that. Um, I do want to mention that this is a 42-minute episode. And I want more like that. I know we've been getting a lot of, like, 30-minute episodes. Uh, maybe, maybe that gives, like, this, like a story like this more time to breathe? I don't know. Um, uh, I should also be mentioned that this this screenplay was written, or teleplay was written by Christopher Yost, uh, who wrote uh, Thor Ragnarok, 
he did some episodes of Star Wars Rebels, and he's writing the upcoming Cowboy Bebop movie. So uh, you, you got some good names involved here. Uh, we we should just uh, jump into it, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Razorcrest lands in a hangar somewhere in space, and uh, Mando finds his old friend Ran, which is what he calls him. But in the credits, his name's actually Ranzor Malk, and he's played by Mark Boone uh, Jr. And uh, you might recognize him. He was Bert in Memento, and he's he's in a ton of things. He's like one of those guys that like is a voice actor, but he's also a character actor that's been in like everything. Um, and uh, he has that look too. And um. The interesting thing here is he says – Mando's like looking around this hangar and he doesn't see anybody he recognizes. Then he encounters Ran and Ran says, uh, is that a is that you under that bucket? So my question to you guys, like does this mean that he's seen his face before or maybe is it the last time that he saw him he was in a totally different armor? Yeah, think- that's, that's what I think probably is that he's – since Mandalorian armor does share similarities, then maybe he's just not sure if that's actually Mando. Especially since we we just saw him get new armor, and uh, uh, Shion makes a comment about like, oh, it's the fancy new stuff, sort of sort of situation. Um, in later, a little bit later, not much later, but a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just uh, this looks too new and fancy for you. Yeah. So he later mentions that he used to do jobs uh, w- with Rand back in the day. When they were young and trying to make a name for themselves, that they got a reputation by running with the Mandalorian, uh, and uh, I think the question is asked, "What it was in it for Mando?" And the, the answer was target practice. That that seems like a BS answer, right? Like there must have been something else going on. Is that something else? What we learned just uh, you know in a couple minutes, the uh, a possible love story. Yeah, no, I think I think that's also Shion sort of hints that they were involved, uh, which is really interesting, uh, and that she refuses to like. For one, she knows his sort of personal mantra, and she refuses to reveal if she knows what he looks like under the mask. But neither does she defend him when when Berg and Mayfeld try to take the mask yeah. off. Well, it seems like things did not go well at the end. We can get to that in a little bit. Uh, but Mando, uh, he hasn't been in those parts in a while, and Rand knows the, his guild problems, but is willing to have him on his crew, no questions asked. It's a five-person job. He has four. He needs Mando for his ship. And uh, Mando's reluctant uh, to let them use his ship. Is this because of Baby Yoda? They they don't he doesn't want them to know about the the secret cargo that is on his ship. That seems to be the yeah. the best explanation. Plus, I mean, I'm sure he's rather protective of his ship since it just got recently got <laughs> taken apart by Jawas. Yeah, it got got a whole uh, yeah torn apart for sure. Okay, uh, so let's talk about the other members of this heist, and they're putting together a heist just like any movie heist. Uh, it, it's weird that Ran is like putting together this heist, but he's not going on it. But I guess. There's a history of that in heist movies and stories anyways. Um, He's Lawrence Tierney from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, Mayfield, he's played by comedian Bill Burr, who I don't really have experience with. I know he has a popular podcast. Uh, Brad, do you have experience with Bill Burr? Yeah, Bill Burr is a great comedian. Uh, He's definitely rough around the edges and can be controversial at times because he just goes on these uh, epic rants about politics and society and... um, 
he can be pretty abrasive. Uh, but here, I, he was great in this. I was honestly kind of surprised because I haven't really seen him do much acting that does, isn't him just being himself. Uh, and he's he's pretty good in this role. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, if I had only one complaint, like he's kind of pitched as like this military ops looking guy. He has like a bunch of blasters. And uh, he's explained that he's the best trigger man that Rand has ever seen, a former Imperial sharpshooter, which I guess uh, he, 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 what did he say? He says, uh, uh, yeah, Mando makes some kind of comment, like, about, that's uh, not saying much. Yeah. And he's he's like, he's like, I'm not a stormtrooper, smart ass. (laughs) And and I feel, wise ass. Wise ass. ass, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I've watched it four times (laughs) (laughs) my only complaint about this character is he doesn't seem very star wars until we get into the action when that third uh blaster arm comes out then then i'm like oh okay i get it he's finally star wars but i think that's why i think that's why i like him though because he's i I think this one of the things i love this episode so much is it feels like he digs so much more into the cd underbelly of bounty hunting than any of the previous episodes did because so far what we've seen from the guild and whatnot has been pretty much what we expected from characters we've seen at cantinas and uh in empire strikes back and whatnot and this one i felt really dug into like that criminal underworld yes and we have berg who is this devorian muscle where do we know that uh species from brian so uh devaronians i I, I said it wrong apparently yeah no it's fine um they uh they we first saw them in uh, a New Hope in the Cantina. Uh, there was another one named Sicatro Vizago, who was a key player in Star Wars Rebels as an underworld boss. And this one is uh, has other ties to Star Wars as well. Uh, he's played by Clancy Brown, who was the voice of Savage Press on Clone Wars and the former governor of Lothal, writer Azadi, in uh, Star Wars Rebels. And a huge Star Wars nerd. Yeah, and he he's been in a lot of stuff. He he, you know, he was in Shawshank Redemption. Like uh, I was actually when the credits came up, I didn't know it was him, and I was actually surprised to learn that it was him. Um, I can tell by he has a pretty uh, unmistakable voice. So, um, but it, he does look unrecognizable under the makeup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's pretty. It's weird to think like, wow, it's the Kurgan under there, but also Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. It's he's got some range, <laughs> for sure. And uh, they also have a droid on their team named Zero, uh, and uh, this is like a Loam series, like a protocol droid, kind of like a like like who's that bounty hunter? We uh, four Loam, yeah, yeah, four Loam, yeah. Uh, so and he's voiced by who, or is he? He's played by someone, right? Richard Aoadi. Yeah, from from the IT crowd and The Watch. Uh, he's also a great director. He directed um, Submarine, and I was so excited when I heard his voice. I was like, oh yes! And I love that he's a droid that's a little bit more precise, uh, very cold and calculated. And uh, yeah, just just a just a cool character to have on this crew. It's yeah. interesting too that his name is Zero. Um, when we have a character that is a murderous protocol droid who's also black with a more 3PO-like head named Triple Zero in the canon. Hmm. It's almost, like, so, it's almost like someone's not talking to the Lucasfilm story group. Or or maybe there's a coincidence <laughs> there that we haven't explored yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we also have the Twi'lek, the purple Twi'lek uh, named Yeon, I think is how you pronounce it, although it's like spelt... Uh, X I A N, 
they they pronounced it Xion. Xion through the Xion uh, throughout the episode. Uh, well, and she's played by Natalia Tena. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but she Natalia, was in probably Natalia. She was in all the Harry Potter films as well. She was in, well, she was in all the Harry Potter films. She, yeah, she was in a few of them. Yeah. A lot of the Harry Potter films. Um, okay, so at this point, we finally get our chapter title revealed, and that is The Prisoner, which I think is pretty obvious. Like, they're on this mission to, you know, break out The Prisoner. But I got to ask you, just because this has happened a couple times this season, like, does this title mean have an extra, like, meaning to it? Like, does this mean that, like, Mando is a prisoner in his own armor and, like, having to do these jobs that he's no longer, like, agreeing upon. Like, but he needs to do it for the money to, you know, and to save Yoda. Like, is there an extra layer here? I think art is open to interpretations and in that <laughs> all of the interpretations that you just offered sound totally valid to me. Like, he's definitely uh, a prisoner of his past and he's a prisoner of the guardianship he has over baby Yoda, which causes problems for him. And I think drives one of the coolest moments of tension in the episode, which I'm sure we'll get to later for sure. Okay. So the next scene is the scene in any heist movie where they're laying the plan out. The mission is to break out someone on a new Republic prisoner ship. Uh, Mando's not happy about this. Uh, this is a Mac security transport. Uh, they have a limited window to do this before the transport jumps. And Mando is concerned that, uh, it being a much more dangerous mission than he was first pitched. And Xion, uh, asks or says, uh, it's guarded by droids to try to tempt him. Um, so, uh, what I guess, like, you know, let's talk about the New Republic. Where is the New Republic now? Like, are the New Republic the bad guys, the good guys? Like, what, what is going on here? Like, we're after Return of the Jedi, right? So, this is pre Force Awakens. Uh, New Republic was kind of like the governing body of the galaxy before they were destroyed by the First Order. Is that correct? So, um, yeah, they were they were the government that rose out of the ashes of the rebellion, and they were led for a long time by Mon Mothma. Um, and I think during this transition period, Mon Mothma is still sort of the leader of that government, which... You know, who knows? Maybe we could see Genevieve O'Reilly step back into that role for this show. But uh, we're somewhere between three and five-ish years after Return of the Jedi. So they're still forming in their early days. Um, they weren't formed officially until uh, just before the Battle of Jakku, uh, which is about a year after Return of the Jedi. And... Uh, I think one of the things this this episode did in really interesting ways was try to invert that where they they do seem very empire like right, but instead of black KX series security droids like K two S O, they're white, and they have more human faces and they have the rebellion's crest painted on them in orange. Yeah. Uh, the hallways and the detention areas look they look more like the escape pods on Alderanian vessels. But they're still prisons. And, uh, you know, even the guard there is wearing what appear to be stormtrooper boots, which I think says says a lot. Oh, yeah. He says nice, nice shoes or something like that. But okay, let's rewind real, really quick for a second. Uh, so she tries to tempt him, saying that the, this ship is guarded by droids. And just then we learn that a droid will be flying their ship. 
because uh, Mando is needed on the trigger. And uh, he asks Fran, how can he trust the droid? And he says he can't trust anyone. Uh, so, so far, this episode, like, I feel like the screenwriting of this episode is just so far above every other episode because it's just like every single layer of this is building up to, like, just be such a tension-filled mission. Like, you're putting, like lightning in a bottle here like you know you, you have mando who doesn't like uh droids and they have to rely on the droid to to fly the ship he, he he's there with people that don't like him people that he's had past relationships with that uh you know probably didn't end well we i mean we we don't really know do we know that didn't end well uh i think later in the episode it implies yeah. that because she's very uh thrilled to leave him there yeah. Okay. Um, Mayfield comments that he can't believe the Razor Crest can fly and compares it to Canto Bite slot machine. Is this, is this going to be the last time we ever get a Canto Bite reference in any of a uh, live action Star Wars? Um, I like how you added the caveat of live action Star Wars because there was a reference yeah. to Canto Bite on Resistance like two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I always thought that Jar Jar would be the end of live action references to Gungans, but we got one of those in this episode too. Yeah. Uh, well, they're using this hunk of junk because basically it, it can get around the Imperial and New Republic grid and blah, 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 blah. It's a whole explanation of why they needed it. And it makes sense. Um, Zero makes the jump to hyperspace as Mando is all too unhappy. He isn't flying the ship. Uh, Berg is looking through Mando's personal space and, you know, obviously Mando's unpleased with this. Uh, Berg wonders why they need a Mandalorian anyways, which Mayfield explains that the Mandalorians are the greatest warriors in the galaxy, to which Berg asks, then why are they all dead? Which I thought was like, if, if you're going to like ratchet up the tension of this mission, like that, that is just like perfect dialogue right there. Uh, Shion tells them to ask him about the job on Alzac 3. What is Alzac 3? Is that something we've, we've known about before? No, I think that's, yeah, that's new. Um, and, uh, he explains he did what he had to, but she explained, oh, but you liked it. And she says that I know who you really are. So I, I guess I have a couple questions here. Uh, do we – does she know who he is? No, I think that's her way of saying that he used to be somebody different yeah. as far as how he dealt with uh, bounties and people. And it, it seems to be implied that maybe at once uh, he was maybe a little more bloodthirsty than he is now. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, do you think – like I feel like this show is setting up so many situations from the past – but we're not seeing them. Brian, is this going to be stuff that's going to be filled in hopefully by like, you know, books and comic books in the future? Or like, do you think that this stuff will somehow come to play in the future of the series? I think they're purposely playing the series mysterious at this point. I think one of the things that we liked so much about the tone of the original star Wars film is that, um, they did drop all those references to the past, whether that was dissolving the Senate or things like that, that they just moved over and never really felt like they needed to explain. And it seems like John Favreau is a huge fan of that style of storytelling. But the other thing you've also, uh, the other thing you're also looking at is the fact that there haven't been any tie in books or visual guides or encyclopedias or anything for the Mandalorian so far, nothing that's been announced. 
So I'm curious if we'll see anything until <laughs> after the series is over. Um, and because we can't go an episode without asking why the Mando wears his mask, uh, Mayfield wonders what he looks like underneath that dome and uh, theorizes that he's a Gungan, which she mentioned earlier. Uh, he asks Chien if she's ever seen his face, and she says, a lady never tells. So the question here is, if they had a romantic relationship, she must have seen his face, right? Like, Gosh, or- I, I, I hope not. I hope that he <laughs> has, has intimate moments with that mask on. <laughs> I mean, well, what is the Mandalorian rules here? Like, I guess we don't know, right? Because it's like new rules. Uh, you can't show your face. Don't he... mask, don't tell. So is it like uh, you're allowed to show your face to your significant other? Or are Mandalorians even allowed to have significant others? Uh, well, I mean, yes, Mandalorians are. I mean, Sabine had two parents. and Yeah, but Sabine not... showed her face, though. Like, this is a different yeah, time. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm saying, though. Like, But, I mean, that was only seven years prior. So, And it sounds like the Mandalorian, in order for uh, Mark Boone Jr.'s character to have been young, I mean, this was probably in the time of the Empire that they were operating as a crew together. And, you know, it sounds like probably during the time of the empire. So it's before uh, the purge. So I wonder if this really is just a specific sect of Mandalorians who adhere to this in a way that none of the rest do. Yeah. Hmm. Um, One other thing I was wondering about um, is Bill Burr's character being kind of racist here. In, In what, in what way? Well, he says, like, wondering if he's a Gungan under there, and then he kind of mocks the way they talk. <laughs> I mean, I think he is. I think he's being kind of like he's. I, I, I know, you know, Bill Burr has what a Boston accent, but yeah, like I, feels, I think he's like, he's like being, the equivalent of putting on like a one of those, you know, poor, you know, intentionally quote unquote comedic like like Asian voices almost. Yeah, no, yeah. I I think he's like the hillbilly, kind of a hillbilly of like the Star Wars galaxy. I think. They're uh they're all bad people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Berg tries to forcefully remove Mando's mask and begin to fight, resulting in the accidental opening of a door, revealing Baby Yoda hiding. Uh, this opened up another can of worms. Like I, I feel like this is just masterfully uh, plotted here. Uh, Mayfield starts pushing buttons uh, by picking up Baby Yoda and uh, talking about how he might adopt him as a pet. And just then they drop out of hyperspace, land back, uh, back on, land on the back of the transport, and uh, Mando puts the crying baby Yoda away and hacks into also, the. Also, Bilber al- pretends to drop him like a dick. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. There's a part where he like fake fake drops him, and I was just like, "Oh, you son <laughs> of a bitch!" <laughs> Which has some really great storytelling in that moment, where when Shion comes up to him with the knife under his throat when she sees him the first time. He doesn't flinch at all. But when Mayfell goes to drop or pretend to drop the uh, the asset, he he reacts, which really shows you where his priorities are and and what he what will get his blood up. I love how you're the only one in the world still calling Baby Yoda the asset. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say that because um, so Hasbro announced their new Baby Yoda toys yesterday and in each of the sections for the toy for the press release, they would mention 
like something about Baby Yoda. They were like, they were like, he might look like a Baby Yoda, but this this uh, character is known as <laughs> known as the Child. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, <laughs> just give him a name already. <laughs> He's old enough, right? <laughs> okay. Um. So, uh, Mando puts uh, Yoda away. Mayfield gets a, a peek down below into the ship. We see some big uh, droids patrolling. We've seen these droids before. Did we see them on Tatooine? The well, we saw something that was roughly shaped that uh, that that shape on Tatooine. The Jawas are trying to sell one to yeah. Uncle Owen. Um, I don't know if they're the same sort of droid. Um, if they are, and they're sort of like guard droids, then that's doubly hilarious to me that the Jawas would be trying to sell Uncle Owen one. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. Uh, okay, so Zero navigates them towards a uh, control room, and uh, they're going through these hallways, and it seems obvious to me. I know a lot of the series was shot with that uh, that new stage technology that uses the LED screens, but it seems clear to me that most of this episode, they built a hallway and are reusing it and repurposing it over and over again. Am I wrong? No, I think that's why the filmmaking is actually so careful to reposition the look of the hallway so that they can keep reusing it, which is why I think uh, uh, Famuyuya kept using wipe transitions to be able to differentiate because you couldn't hard cut between the same set. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned that because I feel like there's more wipe transitions in this episode than there have been in any of the previous episodes of the series. Um, I think it's a function of that set. Okay, so in one of the cells we see... Uh, a, a alien. I forget how to pronounce the the name of the alien, but it's it's like the same species that John Favreau voiced in Solo: Star Wars Story. That character no, Rio. Or, yeah. So, uh, do, do you think that was like uh, Favreau's call? Like, we need to get one of those in in one of the cells. Well, it seems like the direction in this episode is like, how many Easter eggs can we cram into everything? So it also could have been him going like. Well, here's another one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I also, but I do like that. As many as there were, they weren't nearly as overt as uh, the previous episode with all the the fan service. Yeah, they they mostly seem to like just be tiny fun nods and not like walls that are like, "Look at me, I'm fan service." Uh, okay, um, they uh, they encounter a most most droid and Berg blows it up. Uh, Brian, I think you in your your review said that this is, you think this is a reference to the scene from the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, you've got um, you've got Chewie, who's the muscle of the group, growling at the mouse droid. I think Zeb in Rebels even had a scene where he does this as well. But you've got Bill Burr as sort of the ridiculous Han Solo evil version, right? You've got. Uh, Shion as the ridiculous Princess Leia stand-in. You've got Berg as the Chewie stand-in, and that leaves the Mando as Luke, uh, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. Uh, they did this a little bit, too, with Afra in the Afra comic, where like Luke Skywalker and Afra, and they both have R2 and 3PO and BTZ, BTZ-1 and, and Triple Zero, together and it's like this is really just a dark side version of those characters and they do that a lot by mirroring those images uh, in various other parts of the storytelling and i think that's exactly what they're doing here where chewy just growls at the mouse droid 
Berg is just like, man, screw this thing. I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. And that's doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that we're, you know, in a, a highly secure facility that 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 well could have just set off alarms. But yeah. And typically the big muscle has a small brain. And this was a stupid decision because it alerts all the other droids of on, on patrol of their presence. And uh, th- there's a firefight with, uh, I think, four of the droids. Uh, and we this is the first time we see Mayfield's cool third mechanical arm blaster, uh, which makes me wonder, like, how is he controlling this thing? Is there, like, an extra button while he's on his other blaster? Like, how how is he aiming? Or is this, like, it doesn't even, does do we not even need any, like, reasoning for how this works? Why is there sound in space in Star Wars? I don't know. His blaster just looks. <laughs> yeah, I okay. mean, it's probably like if if there was a visual dictionary that Pablo Hidalgo wrote and came out, it would probably be like he's got a bionic implant in one of his eyes that tracks the target, and he can like blink to shoot it or something like it, something like that. Eventually, will probably come out when they start diving into this stuff. But until then, it just looks cool, and he's got a really cool like droid style backpack that it kind of comes out of. So I'd imagine that that's sort of the computer that drives it too. So at first it appears that Mando might've left them there, which just seems ridiculous at that point. He's all the way out there. And then he comes up from behind and takes all, all four droids on his own. I think honestly, this is probably the best action piece or set piece of the series so far. Like just the way the action is shot here. Like it really feels like a accomplished director and I, I love the shot of Mando blowing a hole in the droid's head. And also uh, the, the following shot of, like, it's framed. Like, we're seeing the people leave the room, and it's framed inside the hole of the droid's head. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole action sequence? Uh, pretty much just what you said. <laughs> okay. Seriously, uh, I, it was good. I really, if you hadn't mentioned the framing through the hole in the droid, I was totally going to mention that. Because, yeah. yeah, that was really striking. Uh, they enter a room with a human, a New Republic soldier. He's named Davin, we learn, and he's played by Matt Lanter. And this guy is best known for voicing Anakin Skywalker on the Clone Wars TV show. But this is his first live action appearance in Star Wars, I think. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, is there anything interesting here? His outfit seems a little bit different from other New Republic outfits. So I think the outfit is actually really interesting in that... Um... It's new colors, right, where it looks like a very Imperial officer uniform, but it's in this blue that we haven't really seen is a uniform, except for in Star Wars Resistance. The New Republic fighter pilots um, wear X-Wing pilot outfits that are of a similar blue. And he has the the egghead sort of helmet that we've only seen on the Alderanian cruiser, the Tanavi 4. so it's interesting to see that that it has been made sort of standard for the for the Republic. Um, and, and, yeah, they point out his shoes, which look very much like the same shoes that stormtroopers wear. Um, and I don't know if that's a comment about the jackbooted stormtroopers and how the New Republic is replacing that. Or maybe that's just a comment on how. Uh, hey, they, hey needed... they, they may have produced so many of those boots and like now they have this stock of boots. Like, why not? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting thought. Um, okay, so Mando uh, comments on how they were there was only supposed to be droids on the ship. Uh, the soldier pulls out a tracking beacon and threatens to push the button. Uh, 
And uh, if he pushes the button, it's explained that uh, the New Republic will arrive and they'll probably all die. Uh, this goes into a Mexican standoff of sorts. And Mando tries to promise that if he puts the gun down, they'll let him live. The ar- argument escalates to a point where uh, Xion basically just takes him out. Uh, is there anything to be said about this whole sequence other than it's like just the tension is just like so high? I, again, I think it's like an inverse of Reservoir Dogs, right? In Reservoir Dogs, everyone but the police officer dies. In this, they have the same standoff, but only the police officer dies. Yeah. So, so they're successful until Mayfield notices the beacon is blinking and Zero informs them they have maybe 20 minutes before the New Republic show up. Uh, Berg physically takes out two of those huge droids in an impressive fashion. I was, like, really impressed by that. <laughs> and uh, they they get to the cell with the prisoner they are trying to break out, and it is revealed to be a Twi'lek named Quinn. Uh, and this is Xi'an's brother who comments that Mando, the man who left him behind, is now his savior. Uh, do you think we're going to find out any more about the situation, or do you think this is just, like, you know, set up for this all going to shit later in this episode. I mean, I think with the disposition of everyone who's alive at the end of the episode, it could kind of come back to haunt him. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I, I'm not sure we're going to get much more of that story. I think it is just the setup for later. <laughs> I, like At this point in the episode, I wrote on my notes, like, how do you make this situation more dysfunctional and make it escalate more and then seconds later Berg pushes Mando into the cell they lock the door and now this has become you know gone from being a heist gone wrong to Mando having to escape a you know this is like an escape movie now so it's crazy uh Zero finds out some information on Mando from the guild so not only if they escape Mando is imprisoned in a new Republic prison, but also they have baby Yoda and information on him, which is all bad. It's all bad. Uh, Mando is able to grapple one of the patrolling droids, take his blaster, kill him with it and uses the disembodied arm to escape the cell. Another cool bit of action. Uh, Zero informs them, the the whole group that, that Mando has escaped and Xi'an told Mayfield that he should have ended him, uh, which is interesting because, you know, they used to have a romantic relationship, but, uh, you know, basically he wanted him dead. So I guess that tells you all you need to know. Uh, they make a run for it, but the group gets separated by a lockdown door and Zero is unable to communicate with them now. Baby Yoda shows up and Zero goes for his gun, but the baby disappears. Uh, Quinn tells Mayfield he's going to get him off the ship. Uh, who cares about the sister? Nice family, uh, that whole comment. Uh, Quinn promises triple the share if he can kill Mando. So uh, Mando takes a look at the beacon. Uh, this will come into play later. Uh, we should mention at this point, the hallways have turned into like this like strobing red light, which reminds me of like so many like sci-fi movies. Yeah, this really, for me, it was really interesting that the narrative, as soon as he escapes the jail cell, really switches from uh, 
the Mando's POV to the POV of everyone else, and they really cast him as the Xenomorph while they're sort of the Space Marines trying to get through, <laughs> trying to get through LV426. And uh, it, it's a really effective choice, right? Because it makes the, the Mando terrifying, and then the lights start flashing. Like, they get worse as they go on, and he gets to have that great, like, John Carpenter moment in the lights with Bill Burr. Um, oh yeah, with, with the strobing, and you see Mando coming yeah. closer and closer. Uh, Brad, I haven't heard from you in a while. The, what do you think of this whole sequence? No, I love everything about this. It, it almost has a horror aspect to it. Uh, you know, you guys referenced um, you know, Alien, obviously, and there's certainly that vibe here. And the, the change of the to the red color significantly makes it that much more uh, menacing. And since I don't, we, we've ne- we've never really seen the Mandalorian like fully unleashed on people like this like there's something about normal about seeing him take on stormtroopers and, and stuff like that but or seeing droids. him, yeah yeah our droids uh but it's been seeing him up against you know a crew of bounty hunters like this who are kind of ruthless and uh you know c- kind of evil is is pretty cool and I also love how they're intercutting this with, uh, you know, Mando, everybody searching for Mando in the prison ship, or now Mando searching for them, whatever. And also, Zero is searching for Yoda on the Razor Crest. It's like a nice, like, bit of reflective storytelling there. Um, Mando traps Berg from above, hangs him, but gets pulled down. Uh, and wastes, like, he was told those whistling birds are in such a like short supply but he wastes them and doesn't even hit berg with them what the heck uh anyways uh well if we haven't learned in six episodes that he's not actually particularly good at his job i don't know what else we would have learned (laughs) that 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 is for sure uh uh, there's a brutal fight sequence here uh berg is trying to unmask mando and mando is throwing him they're just like throwing each other into walls and uh eventually mando throws him into the doorway and activates the door lock and uh, somehow he survives this and he activates the other door lock. And I would think that would kill him. But later on, we see he's alive. How did how is he alive? I think that that for that second door closed in in front of him, not crushing him, <laughs> which it's it's really interesting that they design the sequence so that it feels like he has killed each and every one of them. Um, because they just they end up off the radar, and it ends with that I call them cinematic ellipses, right? That that Kurosawa used to do, where it's like, oh, we'll cut here, and then you'll fill in what happens next, and then we'll just move on to the next thing. And I think the director here was using that to uh, create pull that magic trick, where it, when you go back and rewatch it, it can go either way, but you just fill in the murder in your head. Yeah. And so it, it, it goes against your expectations and I think it works really, really well. It also occurs to me, like, you know, the first episode also has like someone meet his end at a closing, you know, star Wars door of some kind. Like, I, I feel like that's something that like either Favreau or Filoni is obsessed with, uh, exploring in this live action star Wars. Well, and I love how they turn it right. Where it looks like, okay, the drawer, the door dropped and, He's dead, but then he just lifts it up, and it's like, oh, his bag of tricks isn't going to work here, ever. And not a single one of them, right? It's like trick after trick after trick doesn't work at all. Yeah. Okay, so let's fast forward. Mando tells Quinn he has killed the others. Uh, Quinn basically tells Mando if he kills him, he won't get his money, 
which is probably true. Um, he, he begs Mando to be reasonable, calls into question his code and him being a man of honor. Uh, Zero finally finds Yoda. Yoda puts up his hand like he's going to use the force or something. And Zero's head explodes. But it's revealed that Yoda, you know, Yoda almost seems surprised in this moment. And we reveal that Mando is the one who shot him from behind. So, uh, Brad, my question to you is could Yoda like does Yoda have the power to control a droid like I feel like there's some kind of setup here or is it just that like Mando is saving him um maybe not control the droid but I think that maybe he was probably planning on like breaking it apart or pushing it away or something like that I mean we, we saw him uh lift that creature in the, the previous episode so he obviously has strength to do something like that I just don't think that he got to the point where he was able to actually use his energy to do anything before the Mandalorian shot him. This show does a lot of, like, reflective things with storytelling and characters. I'm wondering, you know, Mando doesn't like droids. I'm wondering if there's something there with Yoda not being able to... He can only control, like, physical, you know, uh, earth matter. Like, you know, things that have been created by, you know, that are creatures and stuff and maybe not metal. Mm, I don't know. I mean, if it's if it's the Force, I doubt that that limitation is there. There's yeah. plenty of times when uh, Anakin and Obi Wan use the Force to push battle droids out of their way. So, well, it could be his weakness. He he needs to have some kind of weakness, right? He's an I mean, all he's powerful pretty, baby. He, he's pretty tiny. Someone can pick him up and throw him. <laughs> yeah, uh, or drop him, as we saw in this episode. I, uh, I do think the puppet work, though, when he looks at his hand and then back up at the droid falling, where he's like. Did I do this? Yeah, some I do. Of the best <laughs> the best puppet work they've done for sure. I love all the puppet work on the show. Um, okay, so the Razor Crest flies away back to Rand's base. Uh, Quinn has been delivered. Where are the others? No question to ask. That that was the policy, right? So he gets his money just like the good old days, and Mando takes off in his Razor Crest. But just as he takes off, it becomes apparent that Rand had other plans. He tells someone to kill him, and a ship rises from the secret area below the bay. But before it can take off, they find a beacon that Mando has left behind for them, and the New Republic uh, shows up. Three X-Wings appear to investigate the tracking beacon. And this is this is so good, guys. This, uh, this is cameos. Uh, Dave Filoni, uh, Rick, the director of this episode, and Deborah Chow, who is the other director of my other favorite episode of the series. Uh, what did you think of this, Brian? I, I, it was funny and great on its own, especially how Blase Filoni played it. But then when you go back and look at the names of the pilots, too... Uh, they're hilarious, and I know there's jokes in there. Like, uh, Filoni's pilot is named Trapper Wolf, which is, uh, it sounds like a MASH reference, but also uh, his love of wolves and how he keeps working wolves into the narrative. Uh, and then uh, Rick uh, Famuyiwa's uh, name is Jib Dodger. Hmm. And it it makes me feel like there's probably a story on set of a jib arm almost hitting him and it didn't or something. And that's how he got his name. And then, and then Deborah Chow's a sash ketter. And I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere that I'm just not privy to. Yeah. And I actually had to do a double take when I saw Filoni there because I wasn't sure if it was him. I was pretty sure it was, but like he was playing it. So unlike himself, uh, Brad, did you get a kick out of this or did, did you notice when, when it was happening? 
Yeah, no, of course. I knew it was all three of them when they popped up, and it's yeah, it's it's fun to see these guys be able to get into the cock, uh, the cockpit of X wings, and just go go about business as usual. It really was funny how casual Dave Filoni was at ball. He's like, he's like is that, are they trying to pull a gunship out of there? And they just casually blast. They're like, whatever, fuck this place. They just <laughs> they just destroy the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. They they almost seem like they're like irresponsible members of the New Republic, like. Like, like, like not investigating at all. They're like, we're just going to blow it up. Um, so, okay. So Mando and Yoda have a moment at the end here. He gives them the, the knob from the, the razor crest. And he says, I, I told you this was a bad idea. Uh, we then see that shot that we mentioned earlier where Berg is alive as is, uh, Shion and Mayfield. And we didn't mention Shion. Like it looked almost like Mando was going to slice her throat. But she's also alive here, so they're now prisoners on this New Republic ship. Uh, do do we think this is going to come back in this series or season? I, I guess there's not that many episodes left in this season, right? There's only two more? There's two. Yeah, there's two more. I don't think we're going to get more of these characters uh, the rest of this season. I think that they could come back next season, but I think that we're going to end up focusing more on the bounty hunter guild situation if nothing else just from the the information that carl weathers is coming back to direct i can't imagine he's going to come back and not act in it as well you know what i mean but we also uh it seems like if we bring these characters back how much runway is there for uh giancarlo esposito's character moff gideon it it just seems so odd to me this show like the way it is presented kind of like in a episodic uh it's it feels like a show from you know 10 years ago before you know Sierra's television or even like 20 years ago before Sierra's television became like a huge thing and it like it feels like they're almost setting like today watching it in the context of today's tv it feels like they're setting up all these characters but i i don't know it's it's it, it, I'm not sure, like you said, I'm not sure there's room enough for them to come back anytime, at least in this season. Well, and that's interesting that that, uh, Clone Wars started this way as well. Clone Wars was very episodic. Every episode felt very disjointed from the last, and indeed season one really didn't connect chronologically one to the other. So at least we have that with The Mandalorian, but I wouldn't be surprised if they lean into in the second season of the Mandalorian, that, that arching story. But um, no, I don't know. It's, it, it is interesting. It is an older style of storytelling on TV. And somebody said, I'm sick of all these filler episodes. And I was like, I wouldn't call them filler. And then, and then they said like, what would you call them? And I was like, episodes, this is episodic <laughs> TV. Yeah. Like they're more bottle episodes. I think is yeah. what I'd call them. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Like, do you think the series can function just doing this for the, you know, keep on doing these bottle episodes? Or do you think at some point it has to become more serialized? I mean, obviously they need to continue the story of like whatever is going on with Baby Yoda and who's after him and that kind of thing. And to me, it feels like it is going a little too slow in that regard. It's uh, very procedural, you know, um, they're much more focused on the weekly adventure in each episode. And there's maybe like the slightest bit of movement towards what's happening. Obviously, either the discovery of, you know, the message with grief Karga is something that that's there. And Mando's kind of getting an even higher profile after um, everything else that has happened previously. And so it's, 
it feels like it's building to something, albeit in a slow way. And I don't mind the adventure of the week formula. I just wish there was a little bit more of a serial arc to it. You know, even even a procedural show like uh, House, you know, which was the medical mystery of the week show, it still had a lot of character development in each episode. And I feel like we're maybe not getting enough of that in this series. For sure. Um, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what season two takes on. It, it should also be mentioned that next week we're getting the episode a few days earlier. We're getting it on Wednesday. Do we think that's because The Rise of Skywalker comes out later that week? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I guess they're just trying to there's even, avoid... There's, there's, even, there's even supposed to be a sneak peek of Rise of Skywalker with next week's episode. Yeah. Oh, well, very cool. So we'll have our episode next week on possibly Wednesday. We'll see if we can pull that off. Uh, but you can find more of our work at SlashFilm.com. Brian, where can we find your work? Uh, well, you can find my uh, reviews of The Mandalorian every week at, at uh, SlashFilm.com. You can... Uh, check me out on Twitter, and and I can link everywhere else you can find my stuff, whether that's Star Wars Insider or Sci-Fi or whatever, at uh, at Swankmotron, uh, and that's and the Full of Sith podcast. If you like hearing me yammer on about Star Wars, that's the place to to do it more regularly. Brad, where can we find you? Always on SlashFilm.com every week, every day. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me at Slash Film. You can find me at Peter Soretta on Twitter. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And write and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.